Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I'm super excited to share with you today the wisdom of the indigenous. I just returned from a week upstate in New York uh, and Massachusetts and spent time with about 40 wisdom keepers from a variety of traditions, um, elders from around the world. There were Maori from New Zealand, uh, the Dogon from Africa, Cheyenne and Diné or Navajo from the Native American traditions. Um, there were incredible uh, tribes represented from the Amazon River Basin, the Ashaninka, the Hunikun. And it was uh, a gathering called the Aniwa Gathering, and it was a truly profound experience. Um, I was reminded so much of the value of community of ceremony and of offering and really gratitude as core tenants in basically living a a balanced and beautiful life. Um, I wrote an article about it, which I'm about to publish and I'll link below, but I wanted to share today um, as, as my weekly mind key, some of the tenants that I, that I really garnered uh, in reflection on the experience. So Many of you may not know, I actually spent two years of my life uh, living and studying with a traditional healer in Sri Lanka on the southern coast, and it was a truly uh, foundational experience in my life and development. I had a very rare access to a tradition that was otherwise highly secretive. Um, I basically met a man by the name of Bandhu Surya, who was a seventh-generation healer, a tradition that had been passed down from father to son. And he did not have a son. And I wound up living there on my junior year abroad and uh, basically learned the language and encountered this man. And he offered to bring me into his home and teach me in the traditional way. I wound up going back subsequently on a Fulbright scholarship. And we spent basically the better part of two years um, living and studying together. And I learned some really remarkable aspects of this cultural tradition. One of the things that he shared with me is was that health is really about balance and uh, and basically following the heart rhythm, as he called it. And what was interesting is at the Siniwa gathering, a lot of what was spoken about was moving from the head and returning to the heart. And this notion of balance uh, played itself out quite frequently. And I thought a lot about this this notion of of health being equated with balance and the difficulty of finding balance in our modern era. And so I thought about what are some of the principles or tenets that I'm witnessing across these different cultural traditions that we could apply in our own lives to sort of help maintain our own balance. One of the things that that I recognized is you know, this is back from my Sri Lankan experience. In, in the traditional language, there was really no word for privacy and there was no word for possession. So the individual existed in relationship to the whole. And when one fell out of balance or into dis-ease, it was the role of the entire community to bring them back into balance because one individual wasn't seen as separate from another. Therefore, if you fell out of balance, it was my responsibility to bring you back because our collective health was dependent on each other. And I think this is something truly beautiful. Um, In our, uh, many of those listening live in sort of uh, Western-oriented cultures. And um, 
you know, we grow up in a in an individual centric, individual oriented culture um, where consumption is is sort of the norm and is is really propagated as an ideology to assuage our, our sense of loneliness and our sense of incompleteness. So in a way, there's a story that's consistent that is you are not enough. And if you consume more, you will potentially be enough. And so the enoughness is always on the outside to be acquired. What I found in these traditional ways was a total reminder and reckoning on our enoughness and our interdependence and interconnectedness. And instead of the narrative being around consumption, the narrative was really around offering and giving. So instead of it being about what's in it for me, what can I take, it's really more about how can I give and share and be of value. And this was demonstrated time and again in the ceremonies. So Every cultural tradition, whether it was the Mayans, the Ashaninka, the Hunikun, the Cheyenne, they all had ceremony, and nearly all of those ceremonies were a version of offering to uh, a power bigger than ourselves. And to me, this wasn't a religious uh, experience. It was a spiritual experience, but I, I kind of draw a line between the two. It wasn't that you had to be a believer or that you were devoting yourself to any particular um, faith. You could be of any faith tradition. This was really about um, our interdependence and honoring and offering in gratitude that which we are related to. And in the worldviews that I witnessed, we are related to everything. So we are related to each other and we are related to the world around us to the waters, to the earth, to the sun, to the moon, which was often invoked in these ceremonies. And as I think about the precarious situation we find ourselves in, in this current time on the planet where there's nearly 8 billion of us and a limited amount of resources and we're facing climate change, I was really curious to look at, as I am with very modern uh, forms of, of knowledge and wisdom, but in this case, the ancient forms of wisdom and traditions that could help inform our way forward. And for me, it was really a clarion call back to gratitude and a recognition of our interdependence. And so I break down in the article, which I'll link below, some of the tenets that I saw time and again across these multiple traditions. But I'm just going to go through several here quickly uh, on the podcast. So one was a, a central tenant across every tradition, and that was offering. So offerings were given um, to these uh, invisible forces, if you will, um, as an expression of gratitude for all that has been uh, bequeathed upon us, all that has been given to us. You know, the waters for hydrating us, for giving us life on a daily basis. Um, the earth for providing the bounty of food that we experience on a daily basis. I've seen this obviously in different religious contexts as, as an expression, say, for example, of grace prior to a meal. Um, however, in this case, I really found that there was a daily sense of offering and gratitude of leading with giving um, across the various traditions I witnessed. I also saw that ceremony was integral across all of these different traditions as an opportunity for the collective to get together in acts of gratitude and prayer. 
Um, ceremony really was a time for this expression uh, to forge bonds um, amongst all those participating and to express this sort of gratitude, which underlies seemingly all aspects of of these of these of these practices. Um, it's really an opportunity for us to get together as individuals in a collective and share gratitude for all that has been given us. And in that expression, really solidify a sense of our community and a sense of um, something bigger than ourselves. And I think, especially in today's uh, day and age, when so many people feel disconnected, feel a sense of loneliness, feel a sense of purposelessness, it's so powerful to be in ceremony. And one of the questions I asked, I actually sat with a beautiful uh, Cheyenne couple, a grandmother and grandfather. And I said, one of the things I admire is you know, uh, you know where you belong. You know kind of where you're from, your tradition, and you know who your, your people are. I think one of the challenges for many of us is we grow up without necessarily a cogent sense of community or a spiritual traffic in which that that's a sense of ourselves can be really bonded with something bigger than ourselves. You know, many of us don't even have um, a, a sort of coherent family unit. And that leaves us oftentimes sort of alone and adrift. And so I asked the question, how does one find a sense of purpose and a sense of belonging when you don't necessarily have a defined cultural tradition within which to uh, identify. And what was interesting is in the conversation that ensued, it really wasn't a direct answer. But one of the things that I found, which I really loved, was so much of what we're exposed to is someone prescribing a truth or a solution. And what I found time and again with these elders was they really shared a story in which you could find your own answer or solution. And I think this is commensurate with a lot of the way oral traditions of the past and a lot of the ways in which mythologies were related, wherein there would be a hero's journey and you found your, your place in that journey really in the listening. And one of the core pieces I recognized is that Oftentimes, the answers aren't something that someone else can give you, but something you need to find yourself. And one of the things that I found is, while I may not be a member of one of these traditions, I did feel a sense of collectiveness and a sense of bonding and recognizing that I wanted to go off and really create my own sense of community with people that I shared the same vision and values with. And that doesn't necessarily have to be a bloodline connection, but I do think that the idea of community in shared values is now more important than ever. And a lot of this was born out of these stories that were shared to me, for example, by this elders couple uh, from the Cheyenne, um, Joe David and Rowena, um, and a variety of others that I met along the way. Some of the other tenants I saw time and again, were music. Music basically was everywhere. No matter which cultural tradition, no matter which ceremony, no matter which context, there was always music. And we know that music is universal throughout culture and is a huge binder uh, to bring people together. 
one of the things I'll also say is, in my personal experience, I've also just seen the profound efficacy that music has in bringing an individual back to where they need to be. If you haven't yet seen the movie Alive Inside, please go out and check it out. I think it won the Sundance Audience Award some years back, but um, given my, my personal experience with my dad's dementia, it was a real reckoning for me. But basically, this, this gentleman found out that for those who were totally despondent and ostensibly kind of had, had their brains shut off, um, he would go into these nursing homes and find out what their favorite music was from, from, a ch- from their sort of childhood. And he'd put headphones on playing that music. And it was absolutely incredible to see these people who were non-responsive and non-verbal basically come to life through music. And there's a scene with this incredible man, uh, African-American gentleman, who's sort of despondent, head down in a wheelchair, and they put on um, sort of big band jazz. And, and, And he literally, once the headphones come on, turns his head up, his eyes basically wide open, and he says, I remember 1930, and he starts to go off, and he, not only does he turn on, he becomes uh, verbal, excited, he starts to sort of sing and, and, and sort of motion as if he was dancing, and it really showed me the power of, of music as medicine, and I think that's true both for the individual and the collective. Another piece that I saw time and again was laughter. So I remember sitting down, there was a beautiful gentleman by the name of Jerry, who is a Diné uh, or Navajo elder. He led me in sweat, uh, sweat lodge uh, several mornings. And it was, he just had this very unique way of talking, which I won't be able to replicate. But it was slow and it was deliberate. And he had this deep timbre, this deep resonance to his voice. And he would always call us relatives. He would say, good morning, relatives. Um, go ahead as I put this cedar on the, on, the, on, the, on the stones here and bless yourself. And being called a relative was such a um, warm way of, of being with someone. And it really kind of broke down the walls, you know, especially, you know, speaking very plainly uh, as a white man uh, being surrounded by indigenous who have historically been uh, mistreated is probably the the most uh, gentle way I can put this uh, historically, obviously, in this country. Um, the to be called a relative and to be embraced even amongst such historical distrust was was really profound and i took a little as jerry would say time out which is what he called taking time for ceremony i took a little time out both with him in ceremony and then um had an opportunity i saw him um checking out some of the south african tribes some of them whom were offering um, actually acai and he had never had acai so i offered to uh, to get him some acai, and as we sat down, we talked about really serious things, but then he turned to me and he started to crack a joke, and the joke basically had both of us almost rolling on the floor, and from that that point forward, throughout the, throughout the, the next few days, when he would look at me, he would give me a bit of a cheeky smile, and then occasionally he'd come over and tell me a joke, and what I realized was just the, the power of of, of laughter and that laughter is ultimately true medicine. And so I took that away because I noticed laughter quite a lot across the traditions. And I feel like sometimes the most basic things that we take for granted are the most powerful. Um, the last few things I want to mention is humility. 
I saw across these wisdom keepers, you know, so many times I see people sort of exalt themselves as some expert. And what I saw here were people who were truly devoted. I mean, I was honored and gifted to be able to go to a, a talk on the Sundance, uh, which is traditionally information that is, is very highly uh, kept to the heart. And I won't repeat what was shared out of respect, but just the humility of people who, needless to say, like for in the context of a Sundance, who commit and sacrifice themselves at such a significant level over the course of many years for the benefit of uh, something bigger than themselves. It was such a testimony. And instead of people leading with a braggadociousness around what they had done or who they were, there was such a humility to their way of being and really a desire to lead with connection and possibility. And so it was such a beautiful thing to witness and to be in the presence of. And again, such a harsh, I wouldn't say harsh, maybe, such a juxtaposition between a lot of what I saw, the younger energy of people who were very angry and, and a little bit more um, kind of assertive in expressing their point of view. What I found with the elders was they often led, again, with these stories. And it was an opportunity for you to find yourself within the context of their story rather than a prescribed, um, you have to do this to be a certain way. And so I really took away that humility um, is actually such a powerful way of being, and it really allows people to meet you. And I found that humility often proceeds with listening as a core to wisdom as opposed to speaking. I think there's such a power in the listening and being gifted with the opportunity to sit in teepee. Everyone was afforded an opportunity to speak. And what was beautiful is that when one person spoke, everyone else listened. And that was a very, very powerful experience to witness. Um, the last couple things I want to talk about is, you know, Jerry, the gentleman I mentioned earlier who had me laughing all the time, he always would say, thank you, relatives, for taking the time out. And the time out to pray, the time out to sweat. And it really had me reflect on the fact that we don't take enough time out in our lives to be in, whether it be prayer or reflection or meditation or gratitude, and led me to really commit to uh, really furthering both my morning practice as well as more frequently reaching out to those who I'm grateful for. For example, I'm going to reach out to Jerry and Joe David and Rowena and a variety of others that I met, that I met there that were so, so powerful in my experience, and just express gratitude and check in on them. I think taking this, taking this time out and carving a particular time to be in gratitude, to be in an expression of thankfulness around that which we've been given, really does lead, and obviously research demonstrates this, to a greater sense of happiness and ease, but also to a greater sense of community and collective possibility. And so if there's one thing I came away with uh, above all else, it was really taking the time out to express gratitude. And in that gratitude, recognize how privileged we are to be um, living today 
as well as the responsibility to come together collectively and preserve so much of what we often take for granted for the benefit of all of our relatives. And so with that, I want to just say thank you uh, all for listening. It means the world to me that you're part of this community. Um, If it's a value to you, please go ahead and leave us a rating and review over on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Uh, That way it grows further and moves up in the algorithm so that more people can be uh, exposed to what we're creating out here together. Um, Also, you know, feel free to share it. And comments are always welcome. You know, I can be reached at michael at peakmind.org. And uh, if you have any insights or comments uh, around your own experience uh, with these kinds of wisdom traditions, please go ahead and send me a note or tag me at Michael Trainer on Insta uh, or Facebook and let me know about your experience. I'd love to love to hear and I'd love to share more with our community. So with that, um, they talked uh, at the weekend about walking in a beautiful way, and that really uh, resonated with me. So um, whatever beauty is for you, please go out there and walk in a beautiful way.